Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 9, issue 425, in which we shall celebrate the 40th anniversary of Missile Command. Or for our US listeners, Missile Command, <laughs> which is a subtle difference. Missile uh, Command. Or Missile Command. Good point. Mm. Uh, I mean, that could be the case, depending on where you are in this country. Anyway. Just my silly joke. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 425, are Jesse Fuchs. I- I'm sorry, I'm now paralyzed trying to figure out how I say it. Uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll probably hear it once Missile. or twice. That's the one. Okay. Uh, it's like mobile and mobile. <laughs> you know, it's that, that strange UK-US divide. I don't know what it is in Holland, though, in the Netherlands tongue. Mikhail Kroder, tell us. Missile comment. Misa comment. <laughs> no. Sorry, I shouldn't That's try a, to do I, I was trying to do a very thick Dutch accent, but uh, <laughs> Misa comment uh, is, is okay. just fine, I think. Yeah. And we're also joined by our returning guest, Dan Clark. Hey, it's lovely to be back. Great minds and all that. I was going to start with exactly the same missile command or <laughs> joke as you. So, yeah. yeah. Missile command, uh, we'll call it. So, yeah, this was an Atari game originally developed in atari uh, atari inc it was published by atari in north america this is the arcade machine we're talking about in the eu sega did the honors of distributing it made some new cabinets with some new art and all kinds of things while in japan it was taito the space invaders people which made sense mm. so i've also another question on this jesse may know the answer uh, i've always thought it was dave fuhrer but i've heard a few variants on that I, this is something I knew and now have forgotten because uh, I had looked it up for class and I can't sure. remember the right way. I th- think it might be Thur, but I, Thur, I, I might Thur. be wrong. Yeah. I've heard Toyer. It's on some video, but I'm uh, yeah, not sure, sure where now. Okay. So, Dave, if you if you listen into this, I mean, you you probably won't because you've read every article and heard everything that can possibly said about Missile Command. But if you do, uh, let us know. <laughs> I'm sorry if we mangle your name. Thanks to Jesse, we have one of the early design docs for the original game from within Atari. So I suppose the interesting things to note about this are May 30th, 1979. So the game was pretty much in development from for a year until it finally came out, which would have been a fairly long period of time, although I don't know, maybe not abnormally long, including going all the way back to design doc status. Possible titles... World War Three, Armageddon, and slightly more esoteric, The Edge of Blight. Oh. <laughs> uh, anything else that we should say? So it was uh, Thura and R. Adams was uh, were the responsible for this doc. According to research, it wasn't his idea. It was actually Gene Lipkin, uh, president of co-op and v- vice president of sales at Atari, this was uh, based on a magazine clipping, uh, which he passed to Führer's boss, Steve Kalfi, who, who it was who put Führer in charge of the project. Uh, Make me a game that looks like this, said Kalfi, as Führer recalls. This is from an interview with Polygon.com, which is uh, part of a book, which is 8-Bit Apocalypse Untold Missile Command, uh, which is still available on Amazon by Alex Rubens. Uh, Make me a game that looks like this, said Kalfi, as Thura recalls. Here's the idea. You've got these missile trails coming in from the top, 
and you've got these bases at the bottom. The trails are missiles coming in and you shoot missiles from your bases to intercept them. You try to save your bases. I walked out of Calfee's office and my spine was tingling because I just had this feeling that this was going to be fun and it was going to be hot, says Thura. Not much hotter than a nuclear blast. Führer made it clear when agreeing to the concept that Missile Command would only be a defensive game, never offensive. Realising that the bombs would kill all of the people in the targeted city, I did not want the player, I did not want to put the player in the position of being a genocidal maniac, which is an unusual standpoint for any video game developer to take, especially back in 1980. He refused to do anything that had players firing missiles at other countries, especially the USSR, which was a hot issue at the time, landing right in the midst of the Cold War. To him, this made it moral. You're defending your country against attack and defending against such an attack would be a noble effort. The idea of defence was one that the players would take pride in, while slowly realising that the game was forcing them, what the game was forcing them to do, choose between the death of the few or the survival of the many. This was one of the earliest instances of presenting a player-created narrative almost entirely through gameplay. It was up to the player to decide how they wanted to go about things and whether they would save one city in order to ensure the temporary survival of another. Missile Command embodied the Cold War nightmare the world we lived in, said Führer. Working on the game for six months, he had done exactly what the team had hoped players would do. He had internalised the events. I had nightmares about nuclear attacks, he says. During that time, I lived near Moffett Field, where the Air Force would randomly launch spy planes, which made a tremendous roar when taking off. I'd wake up and, while half asleep, hear the launch sounds and for a moment wonder if it was an atomic blast. I would dream that I was hiking in the mountains above the Bay Area with the fabulous views of the San Francisco Bay. In the dream, I'd see the missile streaks coming in and know that the blast would hit me while hiking there on the mountain. These nightmares were common occurrences during the development of Missile Command and continued after development was finished. It tapered off after the game, but still I had them for a couple of years afterwards, maybe one every two or three months. It was a sobering experience. So games have just grown up, of course, in 2020. <laughs> With, uh, that's the sort of the uh, the old cliche. Games have finally grown up. But actually, here was this game in 1980, which was dealing with genuine existential terror. Hmm. Yeah. In a way, Space Invaders also had that. Yeah, but space aliens that looked like octopuses. Yeah. <laughs> 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 as opposed to the thing that you saw on the news every day yeah yeah le- less uh crustacean looking space aliens and octopuses uh, yeah. right yeah as, the, as, a, as a real world threat the original conception of it was have was right satellites on a radar screen right and the mm. the idea of it essentially coming from oh this we can do this with our current level of graphics right of looking at basically yeah. a real world display and yeah. being like, uh, it reminds me of all of like in the, uh, partly because there was a big strike and Reagan fired them all and they were in the news, but also in the early 80s, there's a spate of air traffic control computer games that yep. almost come from that same like, oh, this UI, we could we could do this on a Commodore 64. Kennedy Approach. Yeah, Kennedy Approach is probably the best of them. And, uh, and yeah, I, just right, the realism of, it isn't diegetic, it isn't like, Although they tried to make it more so at the beginning, right? Where the, mm-hmm. the cabinet mm-hmm. originally had like lights up top and was a little more like uh, you are a actual missile yeah. commander at your station. Here's yes. what it would look like. 
in the same way as if you were to play a, a jet pilot game and it was all just this radar of like annihilate yeah. the little blip uh right mm. like that that sort of abstraction that an actual military person might have uh and i think that yeah that's what gives it uh its power is that it is not representational of the actual missiles but it is representational of what a actual military person might see on their screen before we all go boom yeah and so this was four years before the war games movie and I think it was quite common to see uh, this was ahead of the uh, the Raymond Briggs book when the wind blows it was even ahead I think of threads on BBC television the legendary notoriously bleak uh, nuclear apocalypse drama but yeah so here we were so that was at, up to that point the the closest we we believed we would come or had come at that point but then relationships relationship between the usa and its allies including the uk and the ussr got more and more tense and fractious and the arms race went ahead in earnest and certainly um i mean let's talk about our histories with it i think maybe our ages will be relevant to this in terms of obviously the game being from 1980 but also our relationship with our fears of the nuclear apocalypse. Dan, you grew up in the UK, a uh, similar time to me. Yeah, I would have um, um, I would have been, well, four when the game released, or three coming yeah. up to four. Um, my So for the arcade machine, all I remember is being intimidated because I didn't realise that the um, three buttons were the only... I, I got fooled by the rest of the um, panel. Do you know what I mean? I thought there were all these dozens of things that you had to sort of keep an eye on right. and control yeah. yeah um so my my real memories are with the atari 2600 version yeah um which i played a lot more i mean i played it in the arcades in the years since when i realized that you didn't have to memorize all these hundreds of yeah it's got all loads of fake we should say that there were there were four cabinet types released for missile command actually and if you include the redesigned art for the european version and possibly japanese as well there are lots of different versions of this game you might have seen you could get it in upright cabaret uh, cocktail and cockpit forms, but on the the dedicated cabinet, the to make it look, I guess, to make it look cool and authentic, the panel had loads of fake controls on it, basically, right? So to make it look like a like Jesse was saying, like like your missile command station. But for those of us who were little, it was, and I mean, I wasn't four; I was eight when this came out. But yes, I had a similar thing. Like it's a trackball, so that's slightly different i'm getting used to buttons and joysticks and a trackball okay i have seen one before but i'm not very good with it it takes very different muscle muscle control and and fine motor skills and so yeah i agree it was intimidating and three even three buttons back in back in those days uh, obviously we'd had asteroids which had loads of buttons and defender but uh, three buttons well, was and three times as many as space invaders and weirdly <laughs> And I had forgotten until I was looking back at the cabinet, but they're they they're the exact same buttons as like the one player and two player buttons. They're those little yeah. red yeah, nipply little red buttons. Nipply red cones, yes. Right. They're not like mm. big friendly buttons like on Defender or Asteroids or whatever. And yeah. I feel like that is part of the diegetic, like trying to make definitely. it feel like a command station. Uh but sure. I definitely found those off putting when I was a little kid. Uh yeah. Just to clarify, I don't think I would have actually seen it at age four. I would have been like six or no, seven. No, but, um, sure. But yeah, I just, I just remember being a sort of, yeah, totally intimidated by the look of the thing. 
Yeah. It, it definitely didn't look like a kid's game, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I it think wasn't. It, yeah, it was very stark and serious looking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was this one uh, character or uh, an old school arcade player in the King of, King of Kong documentary, uh, Roy Shields, who mm. was uh, talking down on games like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man as kids' games, and he had a he had a world record in uh, Missile Command, which was yeah. a re- which was a real man's game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Dan, do you, do you obviously? Yeah. So if you were four when this came out, you you remember the you remember the eighties and two tribes and you know. Yeah, I, I always thought that war games and this were kind of part of a thing. And yeah. then, and that, as you say, like um, the uh, like Reagan Gorbachev. Um, I was too yeah. young for the sort of Brezhnev era, but um, yeah, yeah, I definitely remember Reagan Gorbachev and the Cold War being this kind of looming, yeah, looming thing. And uh, I know Chernobyl is slightly uh, tangential; it's not quite about nuclear war; it's about nuclear power uh, going yeah. wrong. But but I remember all of those kind of uh, fears as a kid, kind of uh, tying into how we felt about the USA and the Soviet Union. Sure. Jesse, you grew up in the USA. Yeah, uh, and born in late 74. So I, yeah, I mean, I definitely spent, I would say, I don't know, right, the the majority of the 80s being partially uh, having nuclear apocalypse at the top of my list of, you know, the bad things that could happen. Uh, and yeah, I just have odd childhood memories. I remember being somewhat obsessed with the Peter Schilling song, Major Tom, because I thought it was about nuclear apocalypse, which it is not. It is a sequel to... Uh, Space Oddity, that is nothing. But maybe the video, or I don't know. But, you know, those little childhood associations, mm. uh, I, I have some memories of, you know, listening to that being like, oh, yeah, it's all going to all gonna fall down or whatever. Uh, yeah. And I have very vivid memory of not being allowed to watch The Day After uh, by parents who had no compunctions mm. about me just wandering through horrifying R-rated movies on HBO or whatever. Uh, right. So that gave that, uh, which I think, might be the TV uh, special equivalent to Threads. Uh, Very much so, yeah. Uh, you know, that gave that a certain totemic power of just, like, vaguely hearing it uh, from my bedroom as my, you know, dad and stepmother were watching it and just being like, well, I guess this is... I, I'm just too young to know. Anyway, just to finish up my actual play experience mm. with it. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. a game I would see in the arcades, be intimidated by. Uh, didn't, And then I got the home version for the 2600, which I played a lot of. Uh, I really enjoyed that, but I also was kind of freaked out by it where uh, at the end of the game, when you lose your last city, it kind of pauses for a second. And then it's much less spectacular than the 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 end in the arcade version, but still right. does this kind of like boom where the screen mm. flashes. And no matter how far I was from the Atari, I would run up to it and smack the reset button right <laughs> as I lost so that that little bit mm. wouldn't happen. Um, but yeah, and, and once I had played a bunch of that, I would play it once or twice in the arcade and just be like, well, I'm very bad at this and this cost me money. Uh, so I guess I will stick with the home version. Yeah. I have vague recollections of the coin not being around when I was pretty young, probably, I don't know. Yeah. Probably I would have seen it when I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old at first. But I think by the time I was regularly going to the arcades and going on my own, most of them had gone. So most of my history with the game is the 8-bit Atari version, which is different to the 2600 version. Uh, it's closer to the 5200 version. And I had it on a cartridge, which you could plug into the top of your Atari 8-bit. And uh, yeah, it was came in a 
big old box. And yes, I mean, I in terms of my relationship with the impending nuclear apocalypse, uh, yeah, I was I, I, I had similar anxieties to many other kids at the time. I remember waking up at night sometimes thinking it was going to happen, talking to my uh, grandparents about it and them trying to reassure me why, you know, because of mutually assured destruction, it wouldn't happen, which kind of isn't that, you know, it's like it's such a rather than saying to a, a child, you know, of, of 10 years old or whatever, well, that won't happen because people, you know, people are better than that. It was just like, no, nah, they won't do that because they'll die themselves. <laughs> that's what that's what it comes down to, because they know if they launch missiles at us, we'll launch missiles at them and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I, I loved I loved When the Wind Blows. I had that book and I think that although it was depressing, I thought it was, you know, beautiful and human and kind of, you know, there was so much stuff about this. Yeah. Two tribes in the charts. Frankie goes to Hollywood at number one with a video, uh, but, you know, the whole song, this absolutely rip roaring pop classic uh, produced by Trevor Horn, a song that's about just is totally nihilistic. It's about, you know, one is all that you can score. That was like, and this was already, you know, five years after, I guess, five years after Missile Command. So yeah, it was just a, an ever-present looming thing as a, a lot of stuff being written about why us Gen Xers had no ambition and, and, and whatever else was because we essentially grew up believing that the world was going to blow up in a fireball long before we got to adulthood. Um, that said, we got to <laughs> we got to the mid 80s and I bought myself a computer. And so, yeah, I bought at some point I got the, the cartridge of Missile Command and played a lot of it. And I, I don't think I don't think I really thought about it too hard. I, obviously, I knew what the subject was, but I think because they did take the real city names out of it and and all that kind of thing, it was quite easy to abstract it and just think of it as another video game. It's the the sky was always black, so it was easy to kind of associate it with Space Invaders or, or one of those games. So I think, although I knew what it was about, I don't think it, it didn't unsettle me or, or upset me unduly. So I don't want to rewrite history and sort of say that Missile Command was another sort of another part of my my apocalyptic anxiety because I wouldn't have. I said it was. I actually really enjoyed playing it quite a lot. Having look, uh, looked back at the Atari 8-bit version, now I realise how incredibly sedate it is compared to the arcade version, uh, which explains why I used to get very long goes out of it compared to the coin-op, which I have played recently at Arcade Club in Berry, which I'm pleased to say is reopening after its uh, closure from this year's pandemic. Uh, and I'm not very good at it, but anyway. It's worth uh, noting I, that also the... Um Although the home versions are obviously not as frenetic as the arcade, they're still mm. more so than most of the other games you would have been playing at the same time, I think. Often, yeah. Yeah, certainly in terms of the amount of stuff it throws at you from the top of the screen. like Especially after, like, level level one is basically here's how to play. Level two is it's we're going to start challenging in a minute. And then level three onwards is just carnage unless unless you unless you get good. Um, now I play it on, I had the Xbox 360 version in from about 2007. And now I play the Atari flashback version on Xbox one, which is as you'd expect a pretty solid emulation. Now, Mikhail, I know that you've, uh, you wanted to join us on this show, but you said in the run up to it that you're, you wouldn't consider yourself a missile command obsessive or expert, but here you are. Cause you've always got something interesting to to contribute yeah um that's that's pretty much it um i think you 
touched on something interesting uh, in that uh, I think, well, let me just start off saying, like, to me, Missile Command has always been a game that's kind of part of the gaming lexicon, but I'd, I'd never had yeah. much hands-on experience with. And so, but I was always aware of its existence. It's a story I've, uh, I've often I've often told uh, on, on older arcade games that I don't have much personal history with. Uh, yeah. And like you said, I think you touched on something interesting. In, it's that if you don't know the background of this game, it can easily be mistaken for a uh, yeah, like like a sci-fi kind of uh, defend your planet from uh, yeah, projectile attacks. You know, yeah, exactly. That yeah. that end screen, that game over screen, is something else, though, of course. But um, mm. yeah, and another thing is that. Uh, when we, I'm, I'm, I was born in 1976, and definitely we, I was aware uh, throughout the 80s of uh, this looming nuclear threat, and you would, yeah. it would uh, get you to some degree because the grown-ups were all very scared nope. of it. Uh, but it's still at that age, not something that really fills you with full-on existential fright. It's still some something ex- abstract at the same time. So in that sense, in that sense, uh, the idea of missile command also never really put the fear in me. Um, but that doesn't take away from it that it's, of course, a very interesting game to look back on in that historical light. Mm. So yeah, the the CPU in the missile command cabinet <laughs> was a six five zero two processor running at one point two five megahertz, and the sound is a pokey chip. Which I think is the same as is in my 8-bit Atari. Yep. I think it was also. They spent a lot chip. of money developing that chip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it made some nice explosion noises. Very good at white noise as well. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the cabinet uh, had a, well, whichever version of cabinet you had, had a 256 by 231 raster display. Horizontally oriented with a color palette of merely eight but it was 1980. And yes, the game came out in July 1980, hence us doing this show now. As is uh, traditional with these kind of shows, the historical ones, we're going to talk about some of the conversions, ports, clones, pseudo sequels, spiritual successors, and so on and so forth as well. We'll dip in and out of that. But uh, first of relevance is because we've already mentioned it and it sold an enormous amount of copies, I believe, like two and a half million copies the atari 2600 version uh, it was released the year following the coin op uh so here's where some of the versions of the game started to move away from the depressing apocalyptic nuclear story of the original game that is never explicitly stated so the atari 2600 version for presumably to make it more palatable for home consumers for parents to buy kids and just to take home and relax in their spare time in between worrying about the imminent nuclear apocalypse the game's instruction manual describes a war between two planets zardon the defending player and krytol (laughs) the original arcade game contains no reference to these worlds Uh, on level 13 if the player uses all his or her missiles without scoring any points at the end of the game the city on the right will turn into rf the initials of the programmer rob fullop this Easter egg is originally documented in Atari Age Volume 1, Issue 2, in a letter to the editor by Joseph Nikisha. 
and is the second one, the second Easter egg, presumably, publicly acknowledged by Atari. So yeah, that version I bought for my computer, I didn't have my Atari 8-bit computer until late 85, and I sort of went around hoovering up things as I could afford them. I don't think I would have paid more than maybe five or eight pounds for my MSR Command cartridge, a few weeks' worth of paper round money. Uh, but yes, it came in, as I say, in a big box on a cart, and so it meant that it was a game that I could always just whack on and play instantly rather than having to wait for the tape load, which meant inevitably that it probably got more play than other things in, in with you know more sophisticated graphics and whatever else. The Atari 5200 version came out the following year, and they redid the art for this. So the famous, probably the, the art you'll see most often, the iconic Missile Command base art is by George Opperman that was used for the arcades and the Atari 2600 version. And I think, although it is obviously about a nuclear missile attack and so on, and he's holding, he's clutching a red telephone, like an old, old style telephone in his right hand. And there's a woman sort of looking impassively over his shoulder as, as the carnage kicks off. But there is a certain sci-fi element to it as well. He's wearing like a, a uniform and a helmet, which suggests it's a bit more, it's some, it's set somewhere in the future rather than 1980, would you say? Yeah, it always reminded me a bit of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what, what year it is there? Uh, I'm not sure what guys it is from Star Wars, but I remember the helmets um, yeah, on that cover reminded Death me of Star the kid Commanders of someone. Yeah, Rebels, I think it reminded yeah. me of them, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely speaks to that. And then for the 5200 version, they've, they've got an artist called Chris Kenyon to go for an, another take on it, which in some ways looks more militaristic because you've got the guy now, different guy facing the other way, wearing a red helmet, and wearing military uniform and he's got a guy who looks like maybe a submarine commander looking over his shoulder and now he's clutching the red tele telephone and obviously saying you need to blast these missiles out the sky <laughs> so yeah the 8-bit atari version and the 5200 version uh, are the same uh, the same atari 8-bit port was later used for the 1987 atari xegs that was a game system console that i never had uh, in fact, it was it was installed on the system uh, in that you would, uh, a bit like one of the old Master System games they put on board, didn't they? So if you turned the console on with nothing on, you'd get, in this case, Missile Command. Now, I don't know about the licensing situation of every one of these games. This was the Wild West, remember? So you could sometimes just get away with releasing a game with a title that was, especially with a generic-ish sounding title like missile command i think there was very little there were there weren't checks and balances in place and, and lawyers and copyrights in the same way that there are now so we had versions on the commodore 64 in 1983 from interceptor a zx spectrum version in 1984 which was part of one of cascades 50 games on a cart on a cassette kind of deals <laughs> <laughs> most of them terrible of course uh, i suspect they had no atari license Macintosh, there was a Mac version as far back as 1984 from Robert P. Munafo. Munafo? Uh, again, I've looked at it. It doesn't look like it was an official license, but it is called Missile Command. We've heard from Blue Weasel Breath from the forum who says, if my memories are correct, I first played Missile Command on my friend's Macintosh in the early 90s. It was black and white, 
so I'm pretty sure it's this version. And you moved the mouse cursor to where you wanted to launch, then clicked, making a black circle in the area. Looking back now, I realize this control, control scheme results in an entirely different gameplay experience than the arcade original. But in its own right, the Mac version is a parsimonious, satisfying and addictive experience. I don't believe that I've ever played the game since in any other format, unless I messed with a similar PC version sometime in my youth. Atari were able to release their own ST version in 1987 with slightly, let's say, quotes, enhanced graphics and sound. Uh, there was an MSX version by Eurosoft, possibly unlicensed in 1988. Then we get to versions that maybe some of us know. Dan, you're um, usually a, a man for... So there was a Master System version as far back as 92. Yeah, it was on the um, arcades greatest hits i think it's called it was that three more game recent? it was a three game cart yeah um mm. and they're they're sort of remakes they look like they're done by um sort of yeah. your uh, demo or shareware kind of developers they've got that yeah, kind of yeah i think they were europe feel. developed european yeah. developed yeah uh, and the the soundtrack for the master system version has got a very um c64 sid chip vibe to it so huh. so i think it might be from uh, programmers from who transferred across there which in europe Virgin i suppose games, would be quite that makes sense yeah, uh, uh, I think it was by um, Images. I think they're the publisher, and then it was developed by quite a small team Yeah, within that, I think. Um, now, I never got to play it at the time. Uh, funnily enough, we were still playing the 2600, like, years afterwards. Sure, why not? Um, we, we absolutely loved it. I used to, um, yeah, take it in a, my 2600 in a carrier bag to a friend's to play it. And um, this three-game cartridge, I, I don't know. I think it's just that as I'd played the same games for so long on... 2600 or clones on the spectrum it just seemed like a bit of a rip-off when there were yeah. like these uh spangly new like golden axe type things or something like that our type yeah. yeah um so i never played it at the time but uh but looking back it is quite a decent version for for what it is mm. there was an x68000 version presumably japan only 92 as well a subtitled the world war three and by a company called yo Y-O-H, possibly unlicensed again. It looks anyone great remember? as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks all right, yeah. Uh, anyone remember the Windows PC range of arcade games from the early 90s, 1993? Yeah, I remember um, I didn't have it myself. We didn't get a PC for a few years after that. But I remember friends having the um, the sort of arcade collection. I think it was the first time I'd ever – well, they're not emulations, but it's the first time I'd seen anything as close to arcade versions, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they, so these were conversions rather than em emulations, but they were obviously a 1993 PC was quite capable of handling the yeah the graphics and sound of the early 80s coin ops. Even though weirdly, like only a decade or so had passed at that point, and now here we are, almost 30 years on from then. There was a Game Boy version which I haven't played. I've seen running. It, Feel free to jump in if, if you've played any of these. The next one I'm thinking maybe Dan's played because I know you. It's a bit late in the Lynx's life, I think. I think I'd kind oh, of okay. moved on by that point. This is the, I would have been sort of uh, 18, 19. So I think it's the time when I'm, when pubs and gigs and stuff took over. Right. <laughs> um, this was a double pack as well. Super Missile Command and Super Centipede something. It might have been Asteroids. I think I. Yeah, looked at it actually. when okay. we did the Asteroids show because the Asteroids game was actually kind of good and interesting right. and had a twist, and the Missile Command one, as I recall, did not. 
Okay. The thing with all these handheld versions is just the sheer resolution of the screen um, yeah, makes yeah. the game very different because you just haven't got the the space and the uh, yeah the resolution. I don't mean necessarily mean visual resolution. No, um, just in terms of the play field, there's just not as uh, it's just a very different game. So was this when the Mega Drive and Game Gear collection came out? Arcade Classic, Centipede, Pong, and Missile Command was that? essentially a version of what had come before on the master system or was uh, it yes but set? they contain uh no i can't remember if the master system version does or not but the game gear and uh mega drive versions have a classic version included as well so right. you can go for modern mode which has got the sort of updated graphics some although funnily music. enough yeah and some music and uh and yeah it's just a general uh sort of redo uh, but then you can also choose classic mode, and then that's a uh, again. Would it be an emulation? I'm not sure. It, it feels like a not great emulation of the of the originals. It looks looks the same, like the planes mm. come in at the same time and that kind of thing. Um, but neither, for my eyes, uh, neither the Game Gear version or the Mega Drive version are as good as the Master System version. Strangely, okay, interesting. Yeah, the PlayStation got, uh, so this was the era where emulation started to become more uh, doable and more commonplace. So Atari's, uh, Atari Collection at Arcade's Greatest Hits. This was the Digital Eclipse people, the same Rangers who they'd already done some Williams stuff at this point. Uh, Missile Command appeared on there for yeah PlayStation and Saturn. There was also a, a 1999 game, which was kind of one of Atari Hasbro's range of reboots. They did Pong. They did Centipede, I think. I just keep saying yeah. Centipede in a questioning voice. And they did Missile Command, which I'd completely forgotten about, uh, which is so it's a kind of sequel come remake. But there was a classic mode in, in this as well, apparently. Yeah, um, it's, they call it classic mode, but it's like the um, remakes on the on the Sega systems where it's it's got yeah. uh, modern graphics, but they call it the classic mode because it's on the sort of... It's more classic. It's all on one screen, whereas the 3D version, you can kind of pan pan around, which right. uh, it misses the whole point of the game, really. But, uh, <laughs> I think but, yeah, that's, there, that's the version also made for the Jaguar VR helmet, right? Where you, you, would, wow. you would look around. Yeah, I don't... Never released, but uh, no. if, if I... Uh, if I can die in a manner of my choosing, it will be having my brain al- obliterated by Atari Jaguar <laughs> VR Missile Command. Uh, there was a Super Nintendo, so this would have been a conversion. So this was where we were at the very late stage of the 16-bit consoles, but where you would sometimes get the same arcade compilations as on the CD-based consoles, but with conversions rather than emulations. A couple of years later as well, a Game Boy Color version. It's really nice, but again, it suffers from the problem of the uh, the screen resolution. Uh, I mentioned the 360 version, which has both. Uh, they they did a little run of these. They did uh, Warlords and Centipede and Millipede and Asteroids. Mentioned it on the Asteroids show by Stainless Games. Uh, they included an evolved version of each game in each compilation, as well as the original. Uh, the Missile Command evolved version was less visually offensive than some of the others I found, but it's still... I still thought it was quite ugly, so I just tended to just play the original. And these are the kind of things you learn if you research about old games for podcasts. I, I did not know this. So there was an Easter egg on YouTube in 2013 that allowed you to play Missile Command on YouTube. 
this was August 2013. As part of Geek Week, YouTube added a fun Easter egg that lets you play the classic missile command. To trigger it, play any video, click on white space, type in 1980 and your game will load. Um, okay, I don't know if it still works. I'm guessing it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, the scenario, the original scenario, when the game was originally designed, the six cities were meant to represent six cities in California, Eureka, San Francisco. San Luis Obispo, right? Thank, thank you. Santa Barbara. <laughs> That's nice. Good. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Uh, LA and San Diego. Later in development, the names of the cities vary depending on the game level being played, a bit like Rampage. <laughs> but eventually city names were removed completely. While programming Missile Command, the lead programmer, Dave Fuhrer, suffered from nightmares of these cities being destroyed by a nuclear blast. The game inevitably ends when all six cities are destroyed unless the player manages to score enough points to earn a bonus city before the end of the level. Like most early arcade games, there is no way to win the game. The game keeps going with ever faster and more prolific incoming missiles. The game then is just a contest in seeing how long the player can survive. On conclusion of the game, the screen displays the end rather than game over, signifying that in the end, all is lost. There is no winner. This conclusion is skipped, however, if the player makes the high score list, <laughs> just like real life. And the game prompts the player to enter his or her initials. Thanks, Wikipedia. Sean McGowan from the forum says, I was a 10 year old when Space Invaders arrived at my local arcade. Overnight, we went from tuppenny push machines and maybe pong to cues out of the door as people couldn't wait to play this new thing. We glimpsed the future and wondered if more would follow. We had no idea. A cavalcade of new games arrived in quick succession and that early 80s scene remains a blissful memory. But Missile Command was the game that forged me and has remained with me to this day. When I read retrospectives on the game, it usually involves the Cold War and how the game over screen was a chilling reminder of the same. I was 12 when Missile Command arrived and was aware of the global political machinations. But perhaps the abstractions of the Atari coin-up allowed me to ignore that connection and focus on the game itself. The game over screen never gave me chills. By now, the left-right fire combo was common practice in new arcade games, but the layout of Missile Command made it special. Those three fire buttons combined with the rollerball, a hefty contraption for my slender hands, centipede this was not, made this game stand out. Those first four waves demonstrated the basics. They got faster, the sprite colours changed, and you needed to up your game as you progressed, standard. But wave five changed everything. Cyan background, pink sprites, and a significant increase in tempo. Simply moving the crosshair was no longer viable. A new strategy was required. I don't know if it has acquired a name, but the combination of ball roll across the screen combined with a salvo of missiles from nearest base to form a wall of defence became the way forward for all future waves. The sound was amazing, especially as between waves screen as the between wave screen totted up spare missiles and cities. The gap between a perfect wall of missile explosions annihilating all incoming attacks and an imperfect wall where attacks would sneak through and then split and destroy your bases can be measured in millimetres and milliseconds. This game remains in my all-time top 10 40 years later. Yeah, let's talk about it, how to play it. And it's interesting he hearing Sean talking about the wall defence there. I was watching the video earlier of, of uh, I don't know if it's the former or current world record holder on one of the modes, 
and watching his gameplay, it's incredibly precise. And his his advice was just chill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that yeah was, that just was chill when you're that good. Tony yeah. Temple, right? That's it. Yeah, yeah. I, he currently holds the world record in the tournament version where you don't get uh, extra cities, uh, which seems like the the version where you get extra cities is basically an endurance contest. Uh, yes, but um. Yeah, he he. It was very impressive. I mean, he can handle the smart bombs, which are pretty much where I they're my Waterloo. Because uh, if you don't yeah. shoot them straight on, they bounce around and they dodge your explosions. Dodge. And yeah. uh, and uh, whenever I play the Atari Twenty Six Hundred version, I as a kid, I would just set it to the version where the smart bombs are dumb uh, and just waltz into mm. your oh, explosions. Dumb bombs. Yeah, the dumb bombs. <laughs> I, I uh, didn't know they were dumb bombs. Well, the Atari version, it didn't have nearly as many interesting uh, variations as like the Space Invaders oh, on Atari, where you had all those crazy two-player modes. Uh, but you had div- good difficulty adjustment stuff. Like you could have a faster, slow cursor, uh, smarter mm-hmm. dumb bombs, start on different levels, that kind of thing. Mm. It's funny, Sean, mentioning that um, sort of the ball roll and the the um, like shooting at the same time, as you say. Um, that. I've almost got a muscle memory of that, and yet I've barely played the arcade game. I haven't played yeah. it very much at all. I yet that movement, I can feel mm. it in my hands. Yeah, same here. And that's because uh, I did play a bunch of Crystal Castles back in the days on the Trackball mm. arcade machine game, which I, uh, I I really love. So you get yeah, it, it's that thing where if you would move Bentley beer across, would, would want to move <laughs> Bentley beer across the screen very fast, you would just Save give that... Uh, apocalypse. Bentley exactly. <laughs> you would give him give that trackball uh, like a, a big swing to make him sprint across the screen. So I could definitely see that yeah. uh, working for Missile Command and then laying down sort of a wall of, uh, of counterfire. Yeah. Uh, In I, the early days should... I actually have a quote uh, about that from the strategy guide written by Martin Amos. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. His, his we book, Invasion book of the Space yeah. Invaders, which I adore and yeah. he disowns. Uh, yeah. But I'll just read this a little bit. Uh, Practice and halfway normal reflexes will get you through the first few waves. Pretty soon, though, the ambitious missile commander will have to master the, quote, spray technique. With one skillful tilted swipe of the magic ball and with six or seven rapid Morse code taps on a base button, the missile commander leaves a trail of X's across the screen. The X's are well spaced. The entire middle area of the screen will be a continuous linked explosion through which nothing can penetrate. You should be able to do this three times per wave. I always overdo it, using too many missiles in my excitement and dread. Uh, and he <laughs> basically, ta- he, 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 like me, is very impressed by Missile Command and just acknowledges he will never have the uh, sheer reflexes to to play it at the level it deserves to be played at. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really those fine fine motor skills and and uh, just learning. We should probably kind of go back to basics for those. This this is a forty year old game. We'll have people listening to this who aren't even forty yet. And obviously, Missile Command, yeah, it's kind of iconic, and you can still find it everywhere. There's a version on the Windows Store right now. But uh, we should sort of yeah, maybe maybe rewind a bit and sort of say, what have you got? So at the start, yes, and I'd, I'd even forgotten about the screen changing color after a certain point um because i guess that proves how often i get beyond <laughs> wave <laughs> that sort of wave but yes it's true uh i used to be able to do it um you have the ground at the bottom of the screen as you might in something like space invaders but whereas you had your uh, this is assuming people know what space invaders <laughs> looks like whereas you had your bases in front of you as a ship before now you effectively are the bases 
You control a crosshair, which has movement all over the screen. And you control that with a trackball, which, again, if you don't know, maybe some people don't know, is if you remember computer mice from up until the early 2000s, they had a ball in them. <laughs> it's that flipped upside down. Uh, and you roll it about to move your cursor. That's actually how right. I used to play the game in the um, early days of emulation. I used to turn the mouse upside down on that axis. Flip the axis. Yeah, and then you'd have to flip it yeah, the other way around so the yes. up and down weren't different. But um, and it was so oversensitive because the ball's way too small. But um, oh, yeah, but yeah, I, I used to think I'd sort of like hacked the system and found a way to play accurate <laughs> um, missile command. Nice. Some of these, uh, some of the sort of specialist arcade setups that you can get for PC emulation do, of course, include a, a trackball, which is which is yeah. always nice. Although the the missile command one is, as Sean pointed out, it is bigger than the Senate. Like it is literally a a Canadian candle pin bowling ball. Uh, right. It is that exact ball. It is the same one they used in their football game, uh, and four-player soccer, which was yeah. his previous. Yeah, his and previous uh, on those, like you will get tired within a minute. Like they they changed yeah. the friction on missile command where it's not like molasses, but like it is. I think that is yeah. one of the things I found so intimidating about it as a kid was it mm. was just yeah this massive trackball, and it is so much about like it has such a high skill ceiling because of the trackball. Right. And that yeah. is one totally unemulatable thing about all those other versions is like the whipping it across the screen, like Amos is talking about, is like such a specific physical action, like in a sport uh, that you just can't achieve in any other mode. Uh, yeah. And it's again, it's interesting watching a good player do it because they're they obviously they've got a very deft and light touch and they're sort of they're never letting it go completely but they might sort of let it go for for under their fingertip for like half a half a millisecond or whatever just to move it into the next position uh but again it's just that super fine motor skills and accuracy and completely becoming symbiotic with the relationship with the with the trackball on the screen and i think i've said this before on, on other trackball games we've we've covered I used to pinch my little child soft skinned fingers in the edge of the trackballs and it really hurt. And that put me off playing trackball coin ops. The only one that got me past that was Marble Madness because I just loved it so much. But Missile Command would, was very much in the, I, you know, I'd flip my palm across it and then my little finger or whatever would get wedged in the gap at the, between the ball and the, the panel of the coin op. And it was agony. So, um, yeah. So yes, uh, three three ba bases full of missiles, which have a limited stock, not like your laser base in Space Invaders. You've got to count those missiles because once they're gone, they're gone, leaving them undefended. And although you can shoot all the way across from your left bases, left, middle and right bases to the right of the screen, obviously that's going to take a lot longer. So you're constantly judging trajectories and distances as you fire, you've got the three fire buttons, as we mentioned, the little conical red buttoned ones by if you've got the proper machine. There are six cities, two lines of three in between the outer and center bases, three, a line of three on either side. And then as soon as the level starts, I, I mean, the, apparently uh, Tony Temple was saying it's random, like that. there's no, obviously it's random within um parameters but there's no predictability in terms of missile command and what comes on where 
so it's always skill it's it, it you can't you can't it's not like pac-man where you can learn what the ghosts will do the missiles will always come on from different x and well different uh yeah x coordinates and they'll be firing at different angles towards different cities these appear as lines they, they draw lines through the air and it actually has the look of a sort of an animation of around the time that would might have given you some indicator of what a nuclear strike might look like yeah at the same time it's very um very uh yeah a clear kind of design because it exactly sh it shows the shows you the exact trajectory that the missile will take that if you would just see a dot or two pixels move across oh, the screen yeah. it wouldn't be that easy to read you're not wrong there it would be really hard yeah, yeah. it's hard yeah. enough to kind of because you're often dealing with multiple well you you're almost always dealing with multiples at the same time and many of them split off into groups where you've got these MIRVs is that i think that's them that mm -hmm. split off into uh, into three or four as well so then you have to reassess that situation much lower down the screen you've also got uh, these big um satellite that hover hover on from the left and right and planes as well that fly across and then you've got the smart the smart bombs that jesse mentioned who are i think for most people they would be the nemesis because yeah you you can shoot a cluster of defensive missiles towards them they will do their best to jiggle around and try to not get caught the other thing that i suppose we haven't mentioned i think is absolutely crucial about this game the missile that you fire will go exactly where the cursor is when you launch it but it takes a little while to get there and then it takes another little while and it, it it plumes into a big circular explosion which hits a certain radius and then shrinks again you need to catch any incoming missiles within that plume <laughs> mm. yeah. when you miss it by like one it's probably not one pixel, but you know, like one movement away where Frame your circle is going. Really, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's one of the most disheartening things in any yeah. game ever. Uh, yeah. But if you explode them, the missile then explodes into a plume as well. And so a you beautiful, can, if yep. you're good yeah. at this, which I am not, you can set up all sorts of chain reactions where yes. like, yeah, one shot takes out three, three things at almost three different times. That's uh, deeply yeah. satisfying. And very and satisfying when you do that. Yeah. Definitely lends itself to lots of, um, you know, modern variations on this game. Yeah. It's an incredibly well-tuned game. I was just, what I was thinking about with this is there's a, a classic exercise you would do in a, a game feel class of, you know, where you're, you're figuring out the physics of games, getting a sense of it, where like yeah. they give you uh, an, a cloned Super Mario Brothers 1-1 and like they set all of Mario's stats basically to zero and you have to get his jump feeling like his jump. Uh, and you really get a sense of how many different numbers go into that and how it feels. And I was mm. like, this would be a perfect game. Uh, you would need to do it with the trackball version, I think, because it's so much mm. about that timing. But like the speed at which the missiles go, the speed, mm. you know, that that delay, that level of explosion, all that stuff is just so incredibly well tuned that and that's what creates this incredible skill ceiling to the game where people who are really good at it can just do things you can't believe yeah back to our piece from alex rubens from polygon uh, and also which is which is part of his book the sense of endless impactful and sacrificial dread was both purposeful and intended to affect the player as deeply as possible especially for a game meant to be consumed by the mass public 
That was the whole point of the game, Thura says, to show that if there was ever a nuclear war, you'd never win. Missile Command was a social commentary ahead of its time, one that resulted in the haunting of its creator through constant nightmares, punishing him with a reminder of the value of human life and just how quickly that can be taken from us. And yes, the it was interesting watching the the play of uh, Tony Temple with the one city left. So he said that he can get to, say, you start with six cities in a regular game. You add one every 10,000 points, which is easier said than done for most humans. He's playing a version of the game where you never get an extra city. So he says he can get to half a million points without losing a single city, which is unfeasible to most of us. But then if you're watching his late game, which is, I think he said three to four hours or something like that in, uh, he is defending one city the whole time. Like the, the, He's lost all of his other cities. And so for the, for the majority of his lengthy playtime, he's defending one city. Of course, if you're thinking about the, if you just think of this game as a video game and it's just little bits of pixels and graphics, it's uh, it's inconsequential. But if you actually think about the narrative behind the game while you're playing it, that's actually pretty grim, right? It probably helps that they removed the names of the cities as well. It's one of those things we can never know, but <laughs> it makes you wonder if the universal appeal of the game is because we could all implant our own, imprint our own um, sort of vision of those cities on it rather than it being uh, prescribed. I mean, this is such a well-designed I mean, designed game in this sense of like the rules creating the experience of that you can lose five of the cities and the game can ramp up in the way it does because uh, the worse you're doing at it, the less you have to defend, right? That, that it lets you hold out for a little longer and gets more insane in terms of those later wave speed. Yet you can still maybe make it through one of them uh, because five, six of the shots being taken aren't actually coming at anything you need to defend. Uh, yes. And yeah, so right. much of the game is like, you can ignore most of the things shot at you. You just don't know which ones mm. unless you're good. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. So it becomes, obviously, you'll be missing out on points if you're playing it for high scores by not taking out everything that you possibly can. But if you're, ultimately, your longer game is, of course, to stay involved, stay in the game. So ignoring stuff is pretty much essential to not run out of missiles and to, yeah, just give yourself time and space to actually take out the ones that matter. But a huge part of it is, yeah, just learning to read the screen. There's peripheral vision must play a particularly large part in this game, I would think, compared to even even many other games, just because, yeah, your brain's going to be doing maths about stuff that you haven't even necessarily consciously clocked. Yeah, it's a very billiardsy. Like you just people. Mm. I, I'm, I'm sure people just some people have this ability to like see that trajectory start and just instantly know where it's going to end up and react yeah. accordingly. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I got pretty good at the version I had when I was a kid, but now I look at it and I realize how much slower it was than the the intended speed. Obviously, it's a home consumer version, so it's partly it's partly that it was on an on an eight bit computer. Although actually, I suspect yeah. the processor speed wasn't probably wasn't much there probably wasn't much in it but i think it was as much as anything maybe it was just designed to be a bit more well it's a got a joystick gentle. right that's the and thing. of course that's a very to, good point like the 2600 version is actually pretty snappy it lacks basically everything yeah. it lacks the mervs the planes the satellites the chain reactions 
uh, and all that. But it, mm. it's got a pretty good pace to it. Uh, but right, mm. it is ultimately just constrained by uh, if your joystick moves too fast, it's uncontrollable. Yeah, good point. So yes, my my version was eight eight way digital joystick controlled. I don't know if there were any other options possible. Uh, obviously, a paddle would have been nice, but that's only left and right. So you could have affixed your horizontal <laughs> a, a two paddle position. system, maybe right? Like a two a... paddles. That would have been like an etch a sketch. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a a real brain scrambler. But yes, the version I played, the the eight bit and fifty two hundred version, did have all the planes and spark bombs and balloons and not balloons, satellites and and whatever else. So. But um, yeah, but obviously it was much easier to read the trajectory of things that are traveling at about half the speed. What joystick yeah. were you using? Did, was it like the old oh, Atari 2600 style joystick? Or No, I never actually had one of those. It, was, it would have been all kinds of things because I used to get through those <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> uh, it would have been quick shot twos and competition pros and, you know, you name it. I probably had one. Because <laughs> so for, for, for the 2600 version, um, mm. it's... You know that feeling of Mario 64 where it's kind of perfectly tuned to that yes. stick? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It always gave me that kind of feel using the 2600 classic joystick with Missile Command. It always felt like the game that was made for the yeah mm. for the medium. I mean, it is. Mm. it was the third best-selling Atari game ever. Like, I mean, it was, yeah. and, and for no real apparent reason other than, like, and yeah, Rob Fulop also designed uh, Demon Attack, which is one of the best-selling games, and it's also, mm. like, like not a complicated, it's a very basic shooter that just feels good, and yeah. I think that guy just kind of knew how to tune an Atari game. Game feel. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, playing it now on a modern console on, on, say, the Atari Flashback Collections, which are on all the current systems, I think, except Switch... Obviously, playing with an analog stick is closer to a trackball than playing it with an eight-way digital joystick, but it's still not the same. Uh, I think that's I had... now released on Switch, by the way, I think. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to tweak my sensitivity down on the version I've been playing on, on from, I think, I think it starts off on five of ten, and I put it down to three, so you could have it super twitchy. And again, it perhaps if you were possessed of extremely fine thumb motor skills, which I know that I'm not, like mine are really average, but it could be one of those things where if you were one of, if, if you were one of those people that's really blessed with this stuff or is just willing to put in the hours and hours of practice and and can reach that higher peak, it might be even possible to do better on that than with a trackball. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I think also the degree of fine motor skills. Um, with or without a trackball, with an analog stick or uh, or a, a trackball, I think this game is potentially uh, friendlier to master by people that are amazing at something like Super Monkey Ball or, or uh, yeah, you know, right. like finely tuned analog races like F Zero GX or Daytona. Yeah. So people who are good at video games, really good at video games. Let's talk a little bit more about the graphics because I remember thinking, even at the time, whenever I first saw this game, I, I don't remember thinking too much about it other than I liked the the streaks in the sky and the explosions. The screen that you actually are presented with, like even for 1980, the graphics of the cities and the ground were very perfunctory. 
there was no attempt. They, I mean, I suppose back at that stage, they could have even, they could have still even done something like some of the Space Invaders cabinets did with uh, painted cellophane and, you know, whatever else to kind of embellish it a bit, make it go beyond where the, the graphics of the game. And we've already talked about the cabinet art. And I think there was some attempt to kind of almost a bit like with Battlezone, put another Atari game, put the player in a position where they, like you were saying, Jesse, they're, they're looking at a screen, which is a akin to a computer screen of the time. So it's almost not about how flashy or representational the graphics are. It's about the, the story they're telling in the sense of they are a, they're a function of this narrative. Yeah, Battlezone's a great pull I didn't even think of. But right, that military fantasy, right, is is going to be essentially mm. looking at a, a a more quote-unquote realistic display, right, as opposed to a yeah. representational screen. And, yeah. and, and I think I made this point in some other podcasts we did, but like all American games, no, there are no cute American games, right? The cutest yeah. American arcade game is Qbert, and he's an abomination. I mean, even with the Williams games like Defender and Robotron or or Kicks or something, like the best American mm. games almost are brutalist, right? They're just yeah, they're yeah. not friendly in a way. They're but they're evocative. Mm. Anyway, sorry, that is a bit of a tangent. But yeah, just that idea of Missile Command, I think I think looked exactly like they would want like it's just clear, right? It is a game about playing it at a a crazy high level uh and you want absolute clarity and you just want you're just looking at a crosshair and trajectories that is what matters i did want to kind of ask you all what you thought about this game's influence because i think partly because it is so trackball-y in such a like particularly like tightly tuned game it doesn't actually seem to have a lot of like it isn't like pac-man or something even though it was no, almost right. as big no where you have a genre or even like, yeah, uh, I don't know, like what one thing which is more like a visual callback, but uh, Bangayo on the N64 and Dreamcast has those trailing missiles all across the street yeah, screen. Yeah, it cool. looks very much like a visual callback to Missile Command for me, mm. like the, the smoke trails behind the missiles showing their trajectory. Yeah, I feel like I was trying to, I was thinking about this earlier, and I feel like maybe some of the games with mechanics that really do speak to missile command are ones that i haven't even really thought of yet if you see what mm. i mean like yeah like there's no i don't think of too many obvious or direct clones that aren't yeah homages. how about the how about this though uh not trackball uh uh controlled but and this is coming to me right now when we're speaking about this so it's, a, it's a fascinating question actually uh jesse but how about crosshair shooters like cabal hmm. maybe they owe a little bit of their existence to yeah. missile command for yeah. sure and uh there were there were sequences in uh, mini games in point blank where again with the, in that case you're actually firing a light gun at the screen where you were protecting the ground from things but the actual, yeah, it's, the mechanic of having the three I, I, bases. I got two that are very tangential, but I feel right. like a mm. little bit of the spirit of this game is in in very different ways. In is in Res, uh, and is in tower defense games, mm. right? That in, in mm. Res you yeah. do yeah. get that sweeping ba 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 ba. Like that's the the game I think of of like, True. like and trails sometimes off you. Yeah, and and just you that shot. like if I sweep perfectly, I will shoot eight things at once, and you know. Uh, Mm. 
And uh, and then like tower defense, uh, very abstractly, but just like uh, what I was trying to think of is right is that there's you know insistence on this being essentially a purely defensive game, right? Of which there's very few. I was trying to think of other arcade games like this, and there's ripoff where you're trying to prevent stuff from being stolen by the little aliens who are grabbing the stuff and running away. But like it's a very rare structure, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and yeah, and yet depending on how immersed you are, it's it's a first person game, right? Uh, I suppose yeah. you could say <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you. I suppose uh, a crosshair game. Well, I suppose they can be. That's a sort of. I suppose a sort of semantic issue, isn't it? Um, yeah. Because, but yes, yeah, so I suppose. I mean, in the same way as a just because the camera doesn't move doesn't mean that you're not looking through player the, the protagonist's eyes. Yeah. 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 Good point. Couple, yeah, you're looking couple. from the point of view of the missile command center. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If we're talking s- games that are directly inspired, then mm. Colony Se- Colony Seven by Taito is also uh, very much inspired by Missile Command. Of course, uh, okay. I think you control it with a with a joystick, but uh, you control a cursor across the screen, and uh, but mm. in, and instead of stopping missiles, you're stopping these UFOs that fly around. So it's a bit, little bit of a cross between Space Invaders and Missile Command. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. obviously there are. Yeah, there is, and it works different with uh, the projectiles that you're firing off. That you center, your pinpoint with your cursor, sort of explode in shrapnel, and the shrapnel mm. hits the enemies mm. instead of having these sort of neat circular explosions. Steve Norman from the forum says, "I don't remember ever seeing this in any arcades at the time, which might explain why that, despite playing many home conversions over the decades, I had no idea you could shoot from three places." until I accidentally pressed the wrong button on the mm. PS4 Atari <laughs> flashback collection around two weeks ago. Only shooting from the center base is a bit simpler, but it might affect your high score capability. And if nothing else, those extra sets of missiles are a real luxury. <laughs> I did say that was like playing asteroids and not realizing you could move the ship. Uh, yeah. to, which, to which Steve replied, you can move the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the game is staged as a series of levels of increasing difficulty. Each level contains a set number of incoming enemy weapons. Stages are quite well, mercifully brief, I would say, but uh, but pretty frantic and full on. The weapons attack the six cities as well as the missile batteries. Being struck by an enemy weapon results in the destruction of the city or missile battery. Simple as that. No, no damage, no uh, chipping, no loss of ammo. It's like, boom, that's it. You're out. Uh, enemy weapons are only able to destroy three cities during one level. That's a key thing to remember. They will miss beyond that. A level ends when all enemy weaponry is destroyed or reaches its target. A player who runs out of missiles no longer has control over the remainder of the level, which is unusual compared to a lot of games, I think. It's quite, again, just really disempowering <coughs> and, again, cements the message of the game that ultimately you are helpless and eventually that is that that is what will happen either that or you fail to fire your final missiles which would be foolish at the conclusion of a level the player receives bonus points for any remaining cities 50 points times the scoring level uh there's some breakdown for that but uh the scoring goes up basically stay alive longer as you score more points between missile between levels missile batteries are rebuilt and replenished and destroyed cities are rebuilt only at set point levels Oh, 8,000 to 12,000 points. Yeah, I think 10,000 
I had in my head anyway. In the original design document, Fuhrer had also implemented railroads, Jesse mentioned earlier, that players had to protect, which carried missiles from factories to the military bases. This was the original design for ammo control, which later just became a matter of timing, one that Fuhrer used to curb rampant abuse of endless missiles. If a railroad was destroyed, the base could no longer receive missiles, essentially putting it out of commission. In the end, Fuhrer says it was too complicated. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, Fuhrer and Adam got rid of all the unnecessary components, including the radar idea, which had an arm sweeping across the screen, only revealing a portion of it at a time and started putting that manpower and time into polishing the other areas of the game. That would have been scary, though. I mean, possibly unfair if you couldn't. I don't know if as long as it swept at a, at a speed which made sure that you could always see that you were never hit by something you'd never seen that could have been really good actually couldn't it or would it have just been terrifying i think it depends how it would have been, would have been implemented it could have just made it just far too difficult to have i can't fun, even but... imagine how i mean it isn't like defender where there's uh more than the screen and then the radar shows you what's going on on the other parts mm. that you're coming into so I assume you'd be seeing like an arm as in it would just obviously, again, be bearing in mind the graphics of the machine that were capable, it would have been like another line sort of moving in an arc from left to right across the screen. And then as it intercepted missiles that were falling, it would then highlight them. But then they would <laughs> then those blip, those blips would fade again as the, the arm went away. So it would essentially add a whole load more of mental gymnastics to try to work out what you'd seen. So it's kind of, it's, it's like one of those memory tests as well, isn't it? It's like, what have I taken away? Yeah, I've, I've done that yeah, on Wii Fit, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, While jogging? <laughs> yeah, well, you're bouncing up and down, squishing a ball, but you can't see what the, anyway. Uh, yeah, I think that that would be a nightmare. I, I mean, that's, that's the thing is I think they, he really managed to, narrow this down to such a pure experience mm. yet one that's still like you know the 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 three missile bases is such a not pat your head rub your stomach exactly but like yeah. definitely a sticking point for me just knowing there's this skill level that i would really have to dedicate to myself to this game to like intuitively know which missile base to be firing from at each moment uh you know i bet you know even working out a thing where when you spray across the screen you're flicking across the missile bases using the left yeah. on the left side and the right on the right side. Yes. Like, there's so much going on in here. Uh, yeah, it's very easy to spam all of your, say, left missiles and then go, oh. That yeah, that's how silly. I do it. I use one yeah. and then I use okay. another. <laughs> yeah, easily done. To be in fair. a way, that radar thing reminds me a bit of, uh, you know, you get temporary seeing through walls in first-person shooters. Right. Uh, like Titanfall, yeah. where for a few, like, 10 yeah. seconds you can see through the walls but then you've yeah, got to yeah, yeah. try and piece together where those people are going to be <laughs> afterwards yes or so sort of ghost imaging where you get a sense of where somebody was in a stealth game and now they're no longer there you've got it yes hmm. you know the thing at the end of the level where it um so it re rebuilds the cities i always want like, i know it has to show them being destroyed as part of the visual representation of look how many you had left yeah but there's a certain futility of well done you've saved them now we're <laughs> gonna knock them all down <laughs> oh yeah that's true well it counts them up yeah 
I never thought of that. I hadn't really thought about how unique the game is until you brought it up, that you can run out of missiles and just, and it isn't even necessarily game over, right? There are those nope. moments where you're like, well, there's two coming down. Maybe they True. won't hit my city. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe, but right, like that is a disempowering moment I literally cannot think of in any other arcade game. Yeah, it would you would think it would be uh, the antithesis of what, gamers would be willing to accept almost in terms of uh, you know i think maybe in a in a modern game people would balk at the idea of what so i don't actually play this bit because i've done badly i don't know maybe there are maybe there it's, are examples it's your own but fault you shot all your it's missiles. your own fault <laughs> yeah you shot your load <laughs> too you early sit there. it's, a, I, I, it's, it's an amazing problem. moment that it, yeah i'm really glad you kind of uh, put a pin in there uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah there are two types of world records which we've already talked about so marathon and tournament you start with six cities in both but uh, marathon is the mode in which you get additional bonus cities of course this allows seasoned players to play in theory forever <laughs> in tournament mode you get no bonus cities hence us talking about uh, tony playing with one city left for hours and hours on end I almost, I'm almost tempted to start trying to play that way and just, you know, but, and, but then you get back into the, yeah, the sort of thinking about what the game actually says and means and then thinking that's a really, it's like, yeah, we can keep one city alive. Ultimately it's futile, but we can keep those people alive for longer. Although all they'll ever see is just. <laughs> they'll just be seeing missiles permanently raining down on them with occasional giant flashes in the sky. Um, yeah, of course, I suppose the other thing we haven't mentioned, what year was Ronald Reagan's initiative, the Star Wars, so-called Star Wars laser la um, nuclear defense thing like first mooted? 84 to 86, maybe? Yeah, it was later, wasn't it? Yeah, because obviously SDI is um, named after that. Had he played Missile Command, I wonder? Doesn't seem like a video gamey kind of guy in the 80s, but uh, a lot of people were. He would Apparently, have seen war games, though, uh, which yeah, I know it's not the same, but it's a yeah. similar feel. Spielberg apparently was, this was one of the games he was obsessed with in the early 80s. He's always been a, a, a gaming kind of guy. He famously had a load of arcade games at his uh, Amblin offices and famously <laughs> designed the concept for boom blocks on the Wii about 10 years ago, cracking game. Yeah. I still dispute he had anything to do with it, but, but it says Steven Spielberg on the box. Um, he, he probably uh, wrote the, wrote the idea on a coaster yes. and then uh, gave it to somebody who yeah, somebody uh, at EA, developed yeah. it into. Yeah. Almost certainly. But yeah, I love a bit of boom blocks. Jenga. So how about that? Jenga. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to cover those games someday. Uh, no sequels, no spin-offs, no ports, no remasters. Um, but yes, apparently he became obsessed with getting a million points while on Missile Command while he was making E.T. in 81 to 82. And apparently he eventually managed to do it. So he's better better than Missile Command than I am. Whether he's still got the skills, be interesting to see. The marathon uh, settings, of course, yeah, lead to lengthy games. In 1981... Floridian Jody Bowles played a Missile Command arcade game for 30 hours at the filling station eatery in Pensacola. Bowles racked up 41,399,845 points with only one quarter on marathon settings, besting the then previous known record, according to Atari spokesman Mike Fornell. 
that record got broken in 82 and uh it i get i think the game came back into high score popularity in the internet era in the uh 20 around 2013 beginning of march uh mid-march 2013 victor sandberg of sweden surpassed all previous records live on twitch with a final score of 81,796,000 after 56 hours of play. He then beat himself again later that year. 71 hours. It's not good for you, folks. Um, was it Tony Temple was saying there's one point in the game. So they, it hasn't got a kill screen, but something happens at level 256 where the game speed goes back to level one difficulties or something like that. So obviously if you're on a marathon, that's good. And you might almost have time to, yeah, <laughs> to I, run to There's also to like, the if you get more than 256 guys, I think it rolls over and you now have zero. So you've got to right. like strategically make sure to take breaks and lose guys or cities right that are being stored up like it all sorts of weird things where you end up sort of playing the the glitches as often happens with these sorts of yeah so yes uh those tournament settings march 9th 2006 the uk's tony temple who learnt to play in rita's arcade somewhere in england i'm not sure where uh, as a, a young lad set the world record in tournament mode confirmed by Twin Galaxies with a score of 1,967,000 odd points, beating uh, US gamers uh, Roy Schultz, who had been, there he is. Roy Schultz, had been holding that for 20 years. There you go. Uh, he maintains, Schultz maintains that he played using slightly different settings, even though the particular setting he refers to would not have been monitored at the time he set his record. There's always controversy. <laughs> this is according yeah. to the official Guinness manuals from that era. Temple's, People just can't say, like, all right, good job, man. Yeah, you're no. all very good at this Cracking that score. Very yeah. competitive yeah. arena. Temple's record was recognized by the official video game and pinball book of world records listed in 2007 Guinness Book of Records and Guinness Gamers Edition in 2008. Tony's uh, subsequently increased his world record on a couple of occasions, culminating in a score of almost four and a half million. That was 10 years ago now as well. That only took two hours, 57 minutes. <laughs> And yeah, that was the that was the first officially verified time that a player had passed the highest level at wave two hundred and fifty six under tournament settings, and that's where the game difficulty starts over at level one. Yeah. So yeah, legacy is an interesting one because, as we say, there's not really a missile command two. In late nineteen eighty, a two player sequel. The original is only two player alternate. Missile Command 2 was field tested but never released, although at least one prototype appeared in an arcade in Santa Clara, California. This game was similar to the original except that each player had their own set of cities and missile batteries, and the players could cooperate to save each other's cities from the onslaught. In 1992, Atari developed a prototype of an arcade game called Arcade Classics for their 20th anniversary, which included Missile Command 2 and Super Centipede. I guess that never came out either. In 1981, an enhancement kit was made by General Computer Corp to convert Missile Command into Super Missile Attack. This made the game even harder and added a UFO to the player's enemies. Yeah. This is actually a great, uh, we certainly don't have time to go into the story, but I will, I will point people to 
there's a, I believe, a GDC talk by one of the people at General Computer Corporation about making this mod, but actually this was really the stepping stone to the game they're more famous for, which is Miss Pac-Man, uh, mm-hmm. which started as well right. as a mod, a legal modification. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, they were very, very smart. They they were, uh, they had some missile command machines that, that they owned, you know, were getting quarters out of, uh, and uh, people were stopping to play them. And they basically were engineering students who just created these mods uh, and then started selling them. But they they made sure that it plugged into the actual missile command chip so that you couldn't play the mod. Like they had thought through the legality of like, no, you need to own a missile command machine. So when Atari sued them, they had a pretty compelling counter case and managed to like finagle an entire career out of Atari making games for them, uh, including Quantum, which is one of the best trackball games Atari put out. Uh, and mm-hmm. Food Fight, which is another one of the best yeah. trackball games that I put out. Uh, and yeah, they were just very clever young lads. And the way they managed to also basically bluff Atari into letting them do the Miss Pac-Man thing is, it's a really fascinating story. But anyway, yes. Super Missile Attack, it's no Miss Pac-Man. I played some of it. Uh, I think what it does in terms of like adjusting the difficulty curve uh, and stuff like that certainly makes sense. Uh, but it, it's not terribly interesting. <laughs> In 1982, Atari released a game called Liberator, which was seen by some as being a sequel to Missile Command, with the situation essentially reversed. In Liberator, the player is the one attacking planetary bases from orbit. Yeah, that is that is true. I have played that. It is not very good. Uh yeah. It's the one we got guns in each of the four corners of the screen and you've got a big earth in the middle. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. It's fine. And I did get to play it with a trackball because it was in the cabinet at the game center. But I I would certainly never play it over Missile Command. Right. Updated versions. uh, There was a Missile Command 3D for the Jaguar in 95, which had classic uh, the updated and the virtual the virtual reality helmet, which, uh, according to Wiki, was cit- citation needed, but uh, but you believe that did exist. You need to. Believe. <laughs> <laughs> There's that three B three D remake for for Hasbro from uh, PS One era, also on Windows. In a way, those two with the rotating viewpoint almost give a glimpse as to how that radar system would have been, not being able oh, to yeah. see the entire playfield. It's mm. kind of a similar um, disadvantage. <laughs> Yeah, true enough. Uh, yes, there's that XBLA version, which you can still buy, download, and, and uh, play on your Xbox One if you want as well. There was a 2008 iPhone and iPod Touch version released for five bucks, Ultra and Classic included. And there's a version that I just found because I was just Googling Missile Command things, and it pointed me to my Microsoft store because there is a game called Missile Command 2018 available uh, for £1.69. Is this um, maybe is this work on a Windows phone? I don't even know if this works on my. Oh, no, you can play it on a PC or a HoloLens or a mobile device. Uh, I cannot attest to its quality because uh, I probably would have shelled out £1.69 for it, but I uh, didn't have time to play it. But there it is. Uh, you've got skyscrapers, though, rather than cities, by the looks of it. It's got like and way more than six. Um, but I couldn't tell you how many missile bases it has. It says modern remake of Missile Command, but it looks looks uh, it looks similar but different in the way that these things do. Uh, 
there were so many clones of this game in the sort of unofficial home computer area games like aftermath and galactic protector and city defense and repulsar and armageddon and mad which is missile attack and defense commando red uh galaxy wars yes um unsurprisingly uh missile defense came out for the apple II in 1981 stratos the trs-80 uh yeah repulsar was on the spectrum barrage also on the ti-99 silas warner programmed the 1980 clone abm for the apple II several years before writing castle wolfenstein i did not know that uh, john field programmed the missile command like game icbm 1981 and then went on to create axis assassin one of the first five games published by ea hmm. as you to say that's interesting because axis assassin is basically a tempest clone and tempest is third's yeah. next game and tempest absolutely whips ass and is one of the best arcade games ever uh love to do a tempest show and so yeah, yeah i mean just in terms of the like <laughs> the paddle like the trackball kind of unemulatably yeah. fast controller yeah, there's a lot of versions of Tempest to talk about as well. Most of them by Jeff Minter. Uh, Atomic Command was a clone of Missile Command, playable on the Pip-Boy interface in Fallout 4. So if you've got Fallout 4, then you may have stumbled across something that's a bit like Missile Command. Now, I'm hoping, just hoping, because he knew all about Vectrex Scramble or whatever. What, what was it called? I've forgotten what the... That was Mindstorm. Mindstorm. Yeah, but Jesse was... Uh, I'm also on Team Mindstorm. If, uh, if, if not more knowledgeable. Oh, well, yeah. both of you. Yeah. Either of you. Patriots, Missile Command for the Vectrex, kind of. That's a homebrew game, and I have no experience with it, but I, I'm betting nope. that Jesse looks has. Good. Uh, oh, that's a shame. Same situation. It actually isn't on that 32-in-1 uh, game thing I <laughs> have with the homebrew on it, so I haven't played it. But ah, I looked at it. It, looks, it, it would work. Yeah. So it originally came out in 96 and then it was re-released in 2015, apparently. Yeah. If it, if it makes proper use of the analog stick of mm. the default Vectrex controller, I could see it uh, being decent to play. Cool. Now, yes, we've already mentioned it. There were two games called SDI. The first of which was by, uh, well, it was by Master Designer Software for Cinemaware. It came out in around 86, 87 on Amiga, ST, MS-DOS and Macintosh. So this was Cinemaware doing a, a Cold War game and their thing was to have kind of multi-section games. And one of the sections in here was essentially Missile Command. Yeah, yeah. It was, if anyone's a Defender of the Crown is probably the, the Cinemaware game people might know best which is right kind of mm -hmm. thematically connected mini games uh sdi an even bigger mess uh than defender of the crown kind of the game that convinces cinemaware to start doing everything in-house uh just because it it turned right. out so shabby uh <laughs> okay. but like uh, you know has its points and yeah interesting right you know cold war uh, uh nuclear setting and yeah one of the mini games is this i don't remember too much about it and yeah, Dan, you mentioned this one earlier. So there was another game called SDI, also known as Global Defense, possibly because of the existence of the game we just mentioned. As we mentioned earlier, Sega distributed Missile Command in Europe, but they also made their own game based on the orbiting peace platform. 
Yeah, and it's kind of a hybrid of Missile Command and a 2D side-scrolling shooter. You, you've got a uh, like you, there's a player-controlled sprite at the same time as the movement of the cursor for for where you're shooting. It's um, it's again a bit sort of a pat your head, rub your belly kind of stuff. Yeah, but, um, I remember it at, at the pier, Brighton Palace Pier, and I remember it being reviewed that it got home conversions to everything, but. I don't remember it being a massive hit either at, at the arcades or at home. And I remember being, yeah, slightly intimidated by it. I had the master system, but it couldn't, um, it couldn't oh. ever control the same because you didn't have the, I think it might've been like a twin stick. I can't remember how the arcade version controlled now I'm thinking about it, but no. the master system version just couldn't replicate it. I think you had to move, uh, like there was some way you had to like hold a button to move the ship or not hold it to move the cursor or something like that. And it was all mm. quite confusing. I suppose it begs the question. Obviously, we've got the the Netflix uh, comedy series, not very well received. But is there going to be a Space Force computer game incoming anytime soon? I wonder. God willing. <laughs> and yeah, so this one popped up on my iPhone a while back, and I played it a little. Missile Command Recharged is also available on Steam and Switch now as well. The blurb says on Atari's website, in celebration of the 40th anniversary of the original Missile Command, Recharged is a imagining a reimagining of the beloved classic with fast-paced arcade action where players must defend their bases by blasting an endless barrage of missiles hailing from the sky. Launch counter-missiles to protect your base and target power-ups to gain an edge at critical moments. Built from the ground up for modern devices, Missile Command Recharge features accessible gameplay and an addictive classic high-score chasing loop that reinvigorates the storied IP. The title will appeal to those that fondly remember playing the original or its many iterations, and a whole new generation of mobile gamers that are looking for fast-paced pick-up-and-play arcade goodness. All well and good, it's certainly nicely coded, very slick, very professional, but all of the high score stuff for me kind of goes out the window when you realize how much of it's based around microtransactions. I don't know if that's true of the Steam and Switch versions, though. So maybe they're more of a pure take on the game. But the mobile version, I just immediately found myself with like, yeah, I just need to grind that for like 10 hours or pay some money to power up. And I just don't really do that. It's interesting they've gone for the vector look for retro when the yeah. original wasn't a vector game. Yes, I mean that's uh, yeah, that's there's there's probably a whole conversation to be had about um, retro looks to games. But yes, it, I think it actually looks quite nice and it and it runs well. Uh, it's by Nicker Vision Studios. Search me. It's only two quid on Steam. So if you've just been in any way interested by any of this conversation. That is an official Missile Command game, but and in some ways it does a lot of the stuff that I was saying that a modern game could do with Missile Command stuff. Uh, but then it also does a lot of the things that modern games do that maybe aren't really what Missile Command was all about. So I don't know. Anyone else tried it? It's new. I mean, it's really quite new. No. No, but I'm I'm curious. I do like the look of it. I think the vector is the is the right solution to keeping the minimalist graphics right in a in a modern era uh yeah, that that, that makes sense and uh yes yeah it looks like it is it says like uh free to play but you can pay once uh and get it all uh so maybe 
the Steam version is, just buy it. And yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. You've sold me, Leon. Cool. <laughs> Uh, and yes obviously a game so storied as Atari said themselves and so old is going to have been referenced in popular culture a number of times probably more than we can possibly count but uh, Wikipedia helps us out with a few and we got some others as well so Missile Command was referenced in the 1980 episode Call Girl of the TV sitcom (laughs) Barney Miller which we didn't have over here Uh, this features a detective who is hooked on the game Barney Miller. Uh, I don't think we had Barney Miller in the UK, unless no, it's a very American sitcom uh, that stars uh, Hal Linden and many other fine actors. Uh, I own a very small DVD collection of which uh, a plurality is, I guess, the Barney Miller box set. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Abe Vigoda, you, know, you might know, right from The Godfather, he plays Detective Fish. He gets a spinoff right. show where he takes care of a bunch of plucky orphans. Anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I rewatched this because I saw you put this on a thing. I'm like, well, I do <laughs> own the box set. So I dug it out, and it, it's just a character-building moment at the beginning of the show where one detective, it, what's interesting about it is one of them's like, um, you know, have you played this game? It's really fun and exciting, and describes it, and the other one's like, I think that's kind of disgusting, you know, or like it is mm. a, a character moment to have one detective be off-put by the other one's kind of blithe attitude towards playing a game where you're, you know, protecting cities from being blown up uh, what with living in the nuclear age and all. So, uh, you know, not a major plot point, but an interesting. Uh, yeah, that was that was the, the take that made that game something you could reference on a mainstream sitcom. I am now really keen for us to have a conversation where we basically list American 80s sitcoms and I can tell you which ones we did get and which ones we didn't <laughs> and see how surprised you are. I, uh, I, I would like to do the same with the uh, 80s BBC shows, although not that we thought, right. but you know, we would have gotten the, the American, you know, man about the house became three's company, etc. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, and then we, got, then we got that one back, but on late night. So yeah. Uh, um, we did get Amer- uh, the greatest American hero, which was oh, good. surprising. That was our finest. Good theme tune. Yeah, excellent song. Uh, good outfit. <laughs> that guy. Uh, if we're editing this, I'll talk about how much I love the movie House that he stars in, which right. is the the only. It's a horror comedy. It's the only horror movie where the main character acts exactly as the audience is like yelling at him to act. Uh, it's very <laughs> satisfying. Yeah, nice. Perhaps more famously in Terminator 2 Judgment Day in in 91, of course, it's called Foreshadowing. John Connor plays the game Missile Command in an arcade. So the game uh, was already a decade old at this point, but still, yeah, he's in an arcade. He's playing arcade games, even though he's like a, I guess, like a 12, 13, 14 year old kid at this point. He's still playing whatever's at the video arcade. And of course, for the theme of the picture, in which we've, I think, we've already seen a nuclear apocalypse by this point in the movie. Or does that come later, her vision? I forget. Spoiler alert. Uh, but it makes perfect sense anyway. Documentary High Score from 2006 follows William Carlton, a Portland, Oregon gamer, on his quest to beat the Missile Command High School record for marathon settings. I guess based on our earlier findings, he failed? I don't know. <laughs> his name didn't come up earlier, did it? So, but it's possible my data is incomplete. In the 2008 episode, Chuck versus Tom Sawyer of the NBC show Chuck, 
a weapon's satellite access code is hidden in the fictitious kill screen of Missile Command by its programmer, the fictional Mr. Morimoto, played by Clyde Kusatsu. So they made up they made Missile Command Japanese in this episode of Chuck. Uh, I don't remember this show. It sounds vaguely familiar. It's one of those shows that I knew existed for a long time, yeah, yeah. and that's all I got. Yeah. But I did okay. read uh, that that book, The Ape Apocalypse, that you're reading quotes from, uh, yeah. which were very good. You know, that article, that excerpt was really good, but it is a 250-page book, and I did read yeah. a fairly angry Amazon review complaining that, like, an entire chapter of it goes into this episode of Chuck in exhaustive detail. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're curious, uh, maybe that's a selling point. Yeah, if if, the, if this podcast just isn't enough, you just you got to go get that book. Basically, uh, in the nineteen eighty two movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is not one I've ever seen, Missile Command's the end screen is used to help illustrate the film's ending. Literal. Hmm. Uh, Jesse, you got one for us from uh, a book, Pilgrim. Oh in yeah, the, in this is a book that actually was just recently reprinted in the Boss Fight series. Uh, but came out in, I think, 1982, a, a really fascinating book called Pilgrim in the Micro World that is essentially the sort of phenomenological memoir of a jazz pianist who had previously written a book about learning to play jazz piano, uh, getting addicted to breakout. Uh, and it's kind of a book uh. about his process of getting better at the game and, and sort of how it compares to learning music and, uh, sort of, and you know, just all these interesting angles on it. Very you know, uh, overthinking it in the best way. Uh, but the first chapter or two, I, I just remembered as we were preparing for the show, is actually Missile Command. That is the game he sees at a party uh, that his friends are having, uh, that everyone is sort of like pulled towards. And they're all making macabre jokes about, but like they all want to play. Uh, and it's the one that gets him to... Uh, to buy the uh, Atari. And I think it isn't in the story. So, he, you know, the cartridge he gets with it is uh, breakout instead. Cause of course, when you mm. buy a, a video game system, you buy one cartridge. Uh, mm. But um, I think he does eventually also get missile command, but yeah, it's a really fantastic book. And, and even his beginning section, uh, I know we're running a little long, but you know, there's definitely some good quotes. Uh, maybe I'll post something to the forum. And we've also heard on the subject of film, I guess, kind of, Simon Sloth from the forum who says, my dad always loved to be on the cutting edge when it came to home cinema. Surround sound, subwoofers and Laserdisc were the norm in our household. His favourite movie scene to showcase his setup to friends was the chase sequence from Terminator 2, Judgment Day. As a consequence, I saw this sequence multiple times without being old enough to see the whole film. I watched longingly at Edward Furlong playing Afterburner and Missile Command. These were on his CV as a future war commander, so therefore being good at these games would put myself in contention for a similar prestigious mantle. But the first time I played it was on the Atari with a joystick and I could not have been more disappointed. The game controlled terribly and I was equally bad at playing it. Roll on a decade and I would find myself in, I think the London Trocadero with an arcade cabinet complete with trackball. I gave it a whirl and instantly my whole perception of the game changed. There's something almost mesmerising compared to the Atari home computer equivalent. I became John Connor. This really comes back to the legacy of the arcade and how playing games, how they were originally intended, is a little bit magical. Certainly can be. One of the things 
that is almost a running joke at this point in the industry and on these podcasts is that if we find an old IP to talk about, somebody at some point licensed it for a movie adaptation. No matter how inappropriate, unlikely, and perhaps this isn't the most inappropriate or unlikely, and I know I'm aware there's been a Battleships movie. So in February 2010, Atari announced that it was talking with several studios to find one that would turn Missile Command into a movie. On January 11th, 2011, 20th Century Fox announced that it had acquired the rights to bring Missile Command to film. In May 2016, it was announced that Emmett Furler Oasis Films had closed a deal to partner with Atari to produce and finance both Centipede and Missile Command. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody has the deal. Everybody has the license. Uh, I mean, I know stuff being optioned, same with books and, and graphic novels and whatever else. It does not mean the film ever gets made, but it does sound like there has been some... I realise that most pitches, most movies never happen, which is why, obviously, if you follow an industry like the games industry, hardly a week goes by without you seeing so-and-so has picked up an option to make a film about such-and-such, and most of them never mm. happen. But I don't really see what good could possibly come out of taking a missile command coin up and turning it into a film 40 years later. Yeah, and it also kind of reconfirms the uh, existence of uh, modern day Atari just basically as a license holder to mm, uh, right. for, for these kind of projects, you know, to, to coast on, uh, on nostalgia. What mainly. I will say is that a Missile Command film at least makes more sense in my head than the Centipede film. <laughs> mm. Anyone got... Uh, yeah, there is a Centipede, centipede film. There is a Centipede film, but the, it features humans. <laughs> That's a good point, Mikhail. <laughs> <laughs> the human centipede. Oh, yeah. uh, there's already a exactly. trilogy of those. Uh, each yeah. one more unpleasant than the last. Maybe a tie-in with yeah, that. Human Missile Command. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, were there any Missile Command cameos in either Wreck-It Ralph or Pixels? I didn't spot any that I can recall, but I don't know. Th- those mm, are the, no. It's almost like an, just an easy win mentioning those at this point. Yeah. Uh, our last piece of long-form correspondence com slash forum. Stanshaw says, I first played Missile Command on the BBC Micro. It was a knockoff imitation called Missile Base, and I found it incredibly stark and stressful. The anticipation of the first few seconds was exciting as I predicted my first shots and I visualised the missile trajectories in my mind, but this immediately turned to panic once the vector lines began streaking across the monitor towards my bases. My rising panic never became unbearable, though, because the game over screen usually appeared pretty quickly. In defence of my seven-year-old self, it was virtually unplayable with keyboard. But nevertheless, it's not a game I held in great regard as I grew up and experienced the unimaginable leaps of the medium. While I could look back quite fondly on the simple but somewhat enduring pleasures of Space Invaders, Asteroids and Gallagher, in my mind, Missile Command was a joyless relic. Fast forward roughly 30 years and I finally played the game as intended at Arcade Club in Bury. And what a revelation it was. With the speed and angular precision of the trackball and a more attuned visual acuity for bullets and lasers, I had a great time with it over the course of an afternoon, and it's now a game I will always seek out for a few credits when I visit. It's still a very stressful experience, but when you're better equipped to meet with the demands of the overlapping bullet trails, it becomes intense and thrilling, and it has a unique feel. 
It doesn't feel like a shoot 'em up necessarily because of the lack of movement or dodging. But when you get in the zone, it does produce an intense euphoric flow state, similar to how I feel when reading bullet hell patterns. I wish I'd played it properly 30 years earlier. Ultimately, it's an iconic, tactile, exciting arcade experience that is difficult to reproduce faithfully at home, even in 2020. And for that reason, it's something I will always look forward to playing whenever the chance arises. Wonderful correspondence, as always, folks. Well said, Stanchel. And we've also got a few little three-word reviews from Twitter. Bearfish Pie brings us still unsettling premise. Flum says, out of missiles. One Credit Classics, hi Ben, says, Atari made money? Stephen Thompson Jones says, nuclear winter imminent. And finally, Betka, Betka Yoren, I hope I'm not butchering that name, poignantly says, war never ends. To paraphrase Ron Perlman, I suppose. Uh, right. Well, thank you very much, uh, everyone. Let's start our conclusions with Mikhail. Yeah. Um, Missile Command is maybe, if you would have wanted to catch the full brunt of it, get the full experience, get the full emotional response, it's a game you should have uh, you should have been there to properly experience it when it came out. Uh, and I think that's a, in part due to its uh, trackball origins. I never played it with a trackball. I only played the Atari Anthologies uh, port on the original Xbox with an, uh, with an analog stick. Um, but I think I'm, I'm willing to bet that makes a, a world of difference in uh, how immersive the game can get. And yeah, mainly also being, it being the authentic experience and, and the control method that the game is designed around. Um, and then there is, uh, maybe if you would have been a little bit older uh, and more instilled more on a deeper level with the fear of the nuclear apocalypse than sort of the film-like reality that we experience it from. I mean, and when I say we, I mean uh, kids of, of my age. I definitely felt the threat of uh, nuclear attacks and nuclear energy. But yeah, it, it, it was just too too abstract to uh instills with uh with that existential dread um yeah i think if you didn't meet those conditions for me missile command is an interesting game it's an interesting game to put uh, to look at uh from a historical perspective and i've enjoyed all your takes on it uh, listening to it um but although it's fun and there is something to get from it, and there are, there is the satisfaction of lining up your shots just right and timing your explosions just right to take out multiple missiles in one go. It's not a, a game I can keep on returning to and that I get hopelessly addicted to uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So I had a, I had a colleague at uh, Nintendo of Europe uh, who was younger than me, but who was obsessed by uh, my mm. missile command. But I suspect it was more... It's a uh, historic, historical uh, context and it's uh, historical significance that made him keep going on on, on and on about it. <laughs> I remember him taking me uh, to his place and he just got his Xbox 360 and he downloaded a bunch of Atari uh, arcade games for it. And he made me uh, sit down and play Tempest and a whole bunch of Missile Command as well. Uh, yeah, 
he was he was really into it but i've never really gotten that connection but yeah it's it's no doubt uh a key part of uh video gaming history so um hats off and salute <laughs> yeah i agree with all that in the sense that it's not missile command isn't one of the games that i'm sort of wholly passionate about in the way that i would extol its virtues to this day to anyone who would possibly listen even though i did sit there for many many hours at my old atari and and play a lot of this game and uh i don't think i the, the weird thing is i don't think i even really cared about high scores at that point i don't think i noted them down or anything there was no high score save so i guess i was just compelled by the playing of it and the seeing how long i could play for and how far i could get but really it was just the feeling of and we were talking earlier about sort of having that that sense of playing it, even though I was playing it the wrong way, as in not with a trackball and the the nice little conical buttons. I was playing on a on a home computer with one joystick, one button. I can't even remember how it worked firing from the different bases. I think maybe you just only fired from the one from the one base or something, um, or it cycled between them. I still have that sense of the satisfaction of predicting a missile's trajectory and it causing that nice big expansive blooming explosion and then that leading to another set of explosions um just the the satisfaction of doing that watching that and staying alive even though the presentation of the game is so incredibly stark and the concept is as dark as it is is very simple there there is such just something about the the satisfaction of of playing it now I've had it on emulation multiple systems since and I as I say I've got it on the Xbox one now and I think those Atari flashback compilations are great like if you have all three volumes you've got so much history in there now I understand original hardware is great but as a nice resource it's a it's a really cool thing to have and and I would recommend that on whichever format you've got available um so definitely one to investigate if you like we are on this panel fascinated by the history and the development of video games and the iconography of it and see why it's been talked about and featured in so many <laughs> shows from sitcoms to movies and, and whatever else. And uh, sort of, yeah, to understand its significance. I got a vicarious buzz from watching the footage of Tony Temple's high school run. Hearing the the clicky buttons and watching him being so precise, you know, that feeling of joy you can just get from somebody being so damn competent at something and the combination of the, the tactility mm. and the, the, the precision of control and all that. Just watching that was like actually enough to spark me off to want to play it again. And even though I had, don't have access to the arcade machine most of the time to, to play it a bit more on the Xbox and, and get better at it again. But yes, if you can, if you can get to Arcade Club in Berry, obviously that's a limited number of our audience, or anywhere else where there's an actual Missile Command arcade machine. Even if you don't fall in love with the game, you should try it, play it in its original form with its original controls and get a sense of, yeah, why it's a legend in its own right. Yeah, if I'd see a Missile Command cap, I'd definitely jump on it, for sure. Excellent. Uh, Jesse? Well, uh, I was thinking that... you. You were talking about not knowing your score uh, at Missile Command. It did mm. get me thinking that one thing about the Atari 2600 Missile Command, which is the one I probably have played the most, uh, is that it is the game, 
like when I'm trying to explain to my students the you know the idea of uh, sort of like score attack versus uh, you know the the stakes of wanting to see what's next, right? Where where yeah. like Super Mario Brothers is kind of the the transition point, right? It still has points, mm. but they're like a vestigial organ. You don't know what your score is. You know, I've seen this thing, and you tell your friends about that. And that right. Missile Command for me was always the purest form of that. Of all it did was change the color of the background of the screen. But I have incredibly yeah. vivid memories of like, I know that the turquoise, like every two levels, it, it just cycles to a new color. And turquoise means I'm doing well. And like there's one, I think, white I would get to past the turquoise. And then just like the burning desire to know what color the screen gets next <laughs> as if it's like a secret dark souls boss or you know uh, a hidden level one of eight something. colors and it could be is the 26 <laughs> i think there are more possibilities actually but uh but, but oh, yeah, probably, just probably that true. like wanting to see what happened next in the absolute purest form of what color is the screen um yeah i mean i it's honestly right it is my third favorite dave thurr game uh, in that uh, Tempest and especially iRobot, uh, which is, I think mm -hmm. is a, a dramatically underrated game that I was incredibly lucky uh, to have in the arcade as, as a kid because apparently there were like 500 of them. Uh, but We had one. We had one in Brighton. Really? Pleased to see. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we did. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he was clearly just a fantastic game designer. Uh, and even though Missile Command was uh, less appealing to me than Tempest or iRobot, I think that if anything, it is from that almost brutalist looking at a game as a set of rules that that is tuned in a certain way to create a certain very high level of, you know, uh, in ability to be played without having that many things going on, just having them all interact in an incredibly tight way. Like, that's probably his best game. Like, Tempest, I think, is more fun, but I think it's less tactically interesting. Uh, and the fact that it is a game so much about leading the target, right, and setting up these chain reactions, um, and it, yeah, just being absolutely about having this timing down that I never will, that is so dependent on uh, immense dexterity, uh, but also just, right, peripheral vision, pure situational awareness, and yeah, the, the little Martin Amos excerpt he really just talks about, like, this is the game I know I will never uh, I just lack the ability to get good at this, uh, and I, I won't because it is, is pure uh, talent. Um, and yeah, I I, uh, I hope, I, now that I thought about it, I as, as I was joking about the Jaguar VR version, I actually think that this would translate. I'm kind of surprised there's not like a, uh, you know, PSVR with the move controllers or, you know, Vive... Uh, I think you actually that kind of lead the target, you know, conserve mm. your missiles and time things and set up chain reactions with the speed you can wave a uh, motion controller around and have a crosshairs. That actually might translate pretty well. And I'm surprised now that I think about that, no one's picked up that baton. Uh, the, the dream of the Jaguar uh, stays alive in my world. <laughs> Lovely. Dan, then, to conclude. Uh, so with Jesse just saying that, I've just thought of one more that might possibly count. Uh, it might uh, be a follow-on from Cabal in similarity. Oh, Virtua yeah. Cop. Hmm. Right. Where it's not that the missile's coming towards you, but you have got that time bar going down to when the enemy's going to shoot you kind of thing. 
So. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a complete tangent, really. Uh, but I, I yeah. totally agree with. Pretty interesting parallel. Yeah, though, I mean, yeah. it's not dissimilar in a funny way. Um, mm. But I, I totally agree with Jesse and Leon on the on the purity of the gameplay. Uh, I've never been really one for high scores, and I don't remember on the twenty six hundred version ever even looking at or thinking <laughs> about the score. Right. It just wasn't really. I mean, it was just about how long could you play for? Yeah. Um, which is interesting that you've got the marathon and tournament versions um, of the record to cover for both types of player in a way. Mm. Um, now, I don't know if this is going to be too uh, out there, but um, similarly to uh, what I was saying about the cities, removing the city names, making making it more universal. Um, I wondered that because there's this uh, poetry technique where. If you can, if someone's got a poem that doesn't quite work, um, now as long as it's not too personal about their own life, if it's about the world and thoughts, mm. if you go through it and change all of the I's, me's, and my's to uh, we's and ours mm. and us's, um, often you can find that it makes a very different and much more relatable final product. Yeah. Um, and it makes me think with Missile Command as well as the. Uh, non-named cities i think for me i believe that this game would work without any of the narrative trappings as much as we've uh highlighted that as such an important part of what makes up missile command i think it would work purely in the abstract mm -hmm. yeah in the same way that say uh kicks and volfied where or volfied uh where mm -hmm. volfied has the uh sort of enemies and uh relatable sci-fi things but the game works just as perfectly with just lines and dots yeah and i think if there were no cities i think missile command would work as a mm. um almost like a puzzle game you know with yeah just as it is and i i like to think that even if this game hadn't have come about in the way that it did at some point in the history of games someone would have come up with a very similar concept yeah whether it involved 100%. missiles or cities or mm. or what um so yeah for me it's uh one of the purest and one of my favourite of the games that we've ever covered from this sort of era. Mm. Um, I can I can get lost in the twenty six hundred version to this day, and um, and yeah, I think the gameplay itself, um, outside of the the nuclear trappings, uh, is just perfect as it is. With that said, no more nukes. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Jesse, McKeel and Dan, as well as our correspondents and to you for listening. Now, next time in issue 426, we're covering two games, Super Mario Maker and its sequel. And in researching this show, I found something which is Missile Command in Super Mario Maker. So to try to tie, I should say, the two shows together, this is for the original Super Mario Maker on the Wii U. Right, right. I was yeah. going to ask. Yeah. Uh, yeah. ID. EB27 0000000ACCCF0. It's not really Missile Command, but actually, this is uh, done by Game Explain. And uh, it actually looks like a, it, to me, it looks like a, a mini game that Nintendo might have come up with themselves as a little between level Mario trinket oddity. So there you go. This this has to be the smoothest segue between two shows. Kinda, but also really not. So <laughs> <laughs> enjoy that until next time uh, when Mikhail will be your host for Super Mario Maker. And until then, the end.